When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Danny Korchmar talking to you. You're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. History in five songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good folks at Pantheon. We are pleased, as always, to be part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. We are available all over the place, 40-odd podcast platforms, Spotify, iTunes, uh, etc., etc., Megaphone, Podbay. Um, All right, so this episode, we are into our next 50, aren't we? This is episode 51. Uh, This is a bit of a uh, sad and poignant episode. we are just going to be calling this Paul Tonka Chapman. Um, we just recently lost uh, June 9th, 2020. Um, on his 66th birthday, Paul Chapman uh, died. Um, there is no cause of death uh, as of this point, but uh, that's not really important. We are here to celebrate uh, the man and his career. Um an interesting career. I mean, essentially in the later years, we didn't really see a lot out of Paul. Um, kind of odd, not not exactly sure why. He was in a bunch of tribute band stuff. He was he moved to Florida. He's originally from uh, Cardiff, Wales. Um, and, you know, some tribute band stuff. He, he taught a lot of guitar. Um, so I, I suppose this was his second career. But, uh, but no, we're here to talk about essentially um, some of the great music he brought us over the years and, uh, and to look at some of these career highlights. Um, so yeah, so Paul... Paul was uh, Paul was born in Cardiff, uh, June 9th, nineteen fifty four. You know his his first stuff that we kind of uh, got to know him for was bailing UFO out. I mean, at various times, Michael Schenker would be in and out of UFO. Um, so Paul was in there actually um, on the Phenomenon tour, uh, so touring uh, as support uh, a little bit. Uh, so this is early on when Michael first joined the band. Uh, but later on, you know, Paul was back for a 77 tour. Um, he joined in 78 again. It's acknowledged that he is on the Strangers in the Night album. I mean, I can't remember the story exactly, but basically, I mean, you know I write all these rock books so I can get this stuff out of my head and onto paper and then I can forget about it. But essentially right now I do have a couple of UFO books out. One's called... Uh, Lights Out UFO in the 70s. The other one's called Letting Go UFO in the 80s. 
N90s. Yeah, N90s. Uh, so Paul, um, great guy. He's a big, big part of the second book. Um, interviewed him a bunch of times. Uh, great storyteller, great explainer, just a super nice guy. And that's what everybody says about Paul, um, who, who met him. Like he, he just had time for everybody. Um, he's just a really, really good dude. Um, but no, back to the 70s. Um, well, let's play this uh, and then we'll discuss a little further. So this is our first track here on History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff. Take a listen to this. This is Flying in the Real by Lone Star. <laughs> All right, so Lone Star was uh, was Paul's first recording situation. This was a band that was on um, Epic, uh, and the records were released in North America. They only had two records, 1976's Lone Star, 1977, uh, Firing on All Six. Um, they're a bit of a kitchen sink band, uh, basically throwing everything at you. I believe I included them in an early episode where we talked about these confused sort of bands like... Um, uh, Detective and Widowmaker and Mott once Ian left. I can't remember who else fits in there. I even even some of those Deep Purple, those those weird Deep Purple bands like Pace Ashton Lord, uh, even the Ian Gillen band for that matter, um, where there was just a sort of a confusion of direction. So this Lone Star band um, was, was was a tough hard rocking band for the most part, but they had a lot of stuff going on. Um, I've actually written up the story of one or both of these albums in my Yield Metals. Uh, um, series, uh, and I think there was there's some Scientology stuff going on with uh, with one of the guys in there. But it, but essentially, they had this band where uh, no real famous members other than uh, Paul Chapman um, and uh, and later John Sloman. Um, he's the uh, lead vocalist on the second album. Uh, Dixie Lee is the lead vocalist on the first one. Uh, John Sloman went on to your I Heap uh, later. But essentially, it was a band with these two records. Uh, second one was uh, was actually um, Silver Foil co- a cover on it, so it had a little, little bit of novelty to it. But n- neither of them went anywhere. Um, but yeah, they were they were kind of this hard rocking band. Uh, I'm gonna read a little quote from Paul because I think it'd be neat to hear Paul talking in this episode a little bit. Um, so what did he say here? Yeah, I had songs before going into the band. It was a bit like how it worked for Lone uh, Lone Star stuff. It was like a hangover thing. And oh yeah, right. This is um this is a, this is an interesting quote because this is about a song by Lone Star called "From All of Us to All of You," and well, I'll explain here. Uh, in actual fact, if you listen to Mother Mary, okay, so that's a UFO song off of Forset. We were writing Forset when I went back down to Wales and started to form Lone Star. And I just didn't go back to London. And I called up and they were in America or Germany or something. And I went, oh, well, there's rock and roll for you. Um, but I had the other thing I kind of started. If you listen on the second Lone Star album, there's a track called From All of Us to All of You. And there's a middle part that goes and he sings it. It's exactly the same part as Mother Mary. This is the part that goes, you know, and I didn't even know that they had recorded it. 
I didn't even know they had used my part that they'd put into this whole song. And I listened to it and went, holy S. And it's the same key. You put the same record on one thing and the other record on the other thing side by side, and it's almost identical. So that's pretty funny. Uh, That was my intro too, those first few chords of the songs. But I can't remember anything else that I was involved with. So... So Paul's presence uh, is kind of felt even uh, in some of the UFO writing as we move on. But it's kind of funny here. He basically says, I took off uh, and never went back uh, in, in you know this UFO situation. Okay, so uh, moving forward, let's, uh, let's take a listen to another track. Um, this is UFO with No Place to Run, the title track from No Place to Run, of course. Take a listen. All right. So basically, we I have a YouTube show called The Contrarians um, that I'm part of uh, with Marco and Nick. And uh, we have an episode there where I argued for my contrarian choice for greatest UFO album of all time. And I picked No Place to Run. So there's big testimony to Paul. I love that record. A lot of people love this period of UFO. Um, this is probably, uh, you know, essentially... The, the biggest thing Paul is known for is this is this run of records with UFO. So this is off of the first one, um, 1980s No Place to Run. And of course, this comes after Strangers in the Night, the live album, where, as I say, it's acknowledged Paul is on there as, as well as Michael. Um, but uh, this, so this is recorded at a, a uh, basically at... Um, uh, Air Studios in Montserrat, and the wild thing is it's produced by George Martin. So George Martin produced this around the same time he pl- produced a pretty heavy Cheap Trick album, all shook up. Um, and um, essentially, this is uh, th- this is a-, a new era for UFO, and I think it's an amazing, amazing era where you get to see um, this new kind of guitarist come in. Michael is sort of your uh, your Eurocentric, your your German sort of guitarist. Um, a little bit of Richie Blackmore to him. Paul, one of the things people say about Paul, and it's it's not not exactly a negative, but it's not a ringing positive either. Everybody kind of scratches their head when they try to describe Paul's style. I think Paul, um, a he he doesn't really have a key main style, but the thing is, he's a great synthesizer of all sorts of the latest um, cool techniques leading into the hair metal era. So he's almost like um, a guy. He's a jack of all trades. He can do pretty much anything. Um, but but he's almost like setting up to be. Um, he would have been a guitar hero had um, had he. Um, sort of stuck to a few of the cool uh, tricks that he had uh, along the way. Um, He's also just a great writer. Um, He's also a kind of a universal, a timeless, maybe even an American sort of writer. So he's, this is that distinction away from Michael. Um, But uh, here's a little bit of a a quote on, uh, from Paul on No Place to Run. This is actually from the um the use of the the old 50s standard mystery train which they made really heavy on this album so it's it's basically another one of the heavy metal songs on here so i i remember asking paul why did you cover mystery train on this record he says because i love elvis i used to play it when i was a kid um 
It was an idea I had for a while. The funny thing about that is we were in Montserrat. And if you remember, Montserrat is an island 17 miles long and 9 miles wide. It's tiny. They have like eight telephones on Montserrat and about six cars. It's pretty third world. And they've got this high-tech studio right in the middle of it, or they used to have. Anyway, cast your ballot. Mystery Train was the one that I came out with. I knew how the song went, but not all the words. But we didn't have a copy. So we called Chrysalis over the phone. Um... Uh, what, what do we got here? Uh, number 21 or something like that. And they dug up uh, somewhere a copy of Mystery Train and they played it to us over the phone from the office in London. And we recorded it on two track on the two inch. We hooked up the phone to the machine and put it uh, like track number one and we EQ'd the whole thing and it sounded great, believe it or not. Imagine we learned it from the version through the phone wire from London to Montserrat. Um, pretty cool. Um, and another thing he mentions about mixing this record, he says, um, yeah, at the time we liked it. See, a lot of people don't like the production of, of this George Martin album. I think it sounds great. I mean, there's, there's quite a lot of wide angle sort of separation between instruments. I think it sounds powerful and heavy and warm. I have no problem with it, but he says, yeah, we liked it at, uh, at the time. I mean, put it like this. Nobody went, Ah, F, although I remember thinking it sounded a little bright. That was another case of hassles with multiple studios because we were flying back and forth doing the mixes. That was one of the trickiest ones. When we were touring in Europe and flying back forth to London, it was snowing in Europe, and we were going back virtually every night or every other night to finish the mixing with George Martin in London. So George also had air studios in London. And by the time you finish the gig and then you drive to the airport and take off in a two-engine plane in the snow and go across the English Channel from Frankfurt or Luxembourg and you land at Heathrow and you get pushed down the tube and get thrown out underneath the studio, which is exactly where it was. The studio was in Oxford Circus. Right underneath the studio is the tube station. And you walk upwards and go into the studio under those circumstances you really haven't got the best ears in the world so at the time everyone was kind of we thought it might have been a bit light at times so that's kind of interesting um so the next record well actually let's take a let's take a short break and we'll be right back all right so the next record uh here we are uh, history in five songs with martin popoff this is episode 51 Paul Tonka Chapman. Incidentally, he's called Tonka because, um, you know, UFO were a hard, hard drinking, hard drugging band. And basically, Paul got the reputation for being essentially indestructible, despite, you know, living like a wild man uh, this whole time. So yeah, UFO was kind of a mess during this era. I mean, they were a mess during a lot of eras. But you know, you get Paul in there and uh, and Pete Way, who's notorious as well. And Phil, Phil could definitely indulge as well. Um, so it was pretty rough. Um, not so much Neil Carter or Paul Raymond or Andy Parker. I think those were kind of the kind of the more behaved guys in in the bunch. But uh, so, anyways, um, I'm not going to play a song from uh, this next album. But a lot of people think 1981's "The Wild, the Willing, and the Innocent" is the greatest UFO album of all time, and um, or one of the greatest. Um, but one of the cool things about this record. Um, you know, Paul Paul writes a fair bit across the things he's been involved with. To go back to Lone Star, he didn't write it all on the first album, but he wrote most of the second album. So he he jumped right in there. You know, he's 22 years old at that point. But he jumped right in there, wrote most of the second Lone Star album. He didn't write tons and tons of No Place to Run or the later UFO albums. But this one that people really, really love uh, side side one. Let's look at side one first of all. So um, he didn't write "Chains Chains," which is an amazing song. That's a Pete way. 
He wrote Long Gone, killer, killer metal song. Uh, he wrote The Wild Willing and the Innocent. Bear in mind, this is music. Phil is writing the lyrics. He didn't write It's Killing Me. That's another Pete Way song. But flip it over. Um, basically, uh, every song on side B of the original vinyl, uh, Make and Moves, super heavy song, Lonely Heart, Couldn't Get It Right, and P- Profession of Violence. Uh, he wrote essentially... The, uh, the entire uh, second side of this music-wise. Uh, Pete is in there on, on some music credits as well. So there's a, there's a great credit to Paul, is that, is that essentially a record that many feel is the greatest UFO album of all time. Obviously, the Schenker albums are classics too, um, but a lot of people do lean to this era, as I do, and, uh, and think that is the greatest. All right, so let's go on to another track. Um, take a listen to this. This is a little something called Doing It All For You. Right, so that is UFO again on the third Paul Chapman album, um, and that is um, so that's called um, Mechanics 1982. It's a little bit of a wayward album, a little bit of a weird, you know, some weird things going on, a little bit of novelty to it. The production's a little rough and raw, Gary Lyons. Um, but I wanted to play you that because there's that really beautiful lyrical guitar line um, that the soloing gets done over that 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 is new to the song at that point, late in the song. So it's it's kind of just a cool you know mid heavy mid poppy uh song but then it's got that really cool guitar thing in it that i wanted to show you because uh yeah i mean paul paul can come up with some really uh really cool things i mean i i think this is the greatest thing he brought to us is his ability his writing and his riffing um many many amazing riffs uh, o- over this uh time um so here's another quote from uh, tonka and uh this is about the inclusion of uh you know the old, the old, another old fifty song, something else. Eddie Cochran, uh, said, you know, uh, Sid Vicious uh, covered it as well. He says, "I don't know. That was Pete's idea. Even in Lone Star, we did the Beatles song. So they they opened. I think it's the first album with a Beatles cover. And it's it's a nice talking point if you do a cover. Mystery Train was the one from No Place to Run. And something else. Eddie Cochran. I think Pete was going through an Eddie Cochran Gene Vincent phase. He had a compilation tape at the time of all these people that had died in Britain who were like that. Uh, Johnny Kidd and the Pirates, those kind of people. I used to play the song before in a local band with that arrangement, which was a bit heavier. It was in a different key than the." original and this kind of stuff but the only problem with that was when gary the producer lyons uh was okay let's try this let's try this it was gary's idea to put the saxophone on it and that's when pete was going that's awful you you know it it should be screaming guitar solo it should be heavy and raw and gritty and all of a sudden we came in one day and gary had spent like three hours fixing a mellotron the tape driven sampler affair with a keyboard and somehow or other the mellotron ended up on there and it was like what the hell is that doing there i don't know he obviously had a vision for how it should sound different a bit from what we had um but yeah, great album. It's got songs like The Writer on it, a, a really cool heavy one, uh, and just a really good, you know, kind of party, party-ish sort of album. Neil Carter, the uh, the new keyboardist, the, um, you know, the replacement guy for, uh, for Paul Raymond is doing a lot of the writing on this. Um, okay, so at this point, 
There's one more UFO album it's called Making Contact uh, before uh, Paul is out of the band. Essentially, the, the lineup falls apart pretty much for a long, long, long time. Uh, you know, a lot of different members in and out. UFO kind of goes into a low period. This is sort of uh, coming to the end of their, um, you know, their, their um, contractual pretty decent situation with chrysalis and the making contact album is another good album i mean basically paul was there for four good solid albums to superlative albums this is probably my least favorite of the four um i feel like they were running a little bit of fumes on this um but it's still a good heavy album good expensive sounding production on it um yeah a, a good way for paul for paul to leave um okay so our next track Let's take a listen to this and then we'll, we'll discuss. This is Wasted with Hang 'em High. All right, so this is uh, this is another service I wanted to give to Paul. I mean, a lot of people forget that he was part of Wasted, and I even forgot. I mean, it's embarrassing, but I, I, you know, you learn these things and you forget. I, 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 you know, looking looking up to do this, I forgot that he was not part of the Wasted album, and he's he's not part of the Wasted EP. So he comes in at this point, um, and um, this, to my mind, I mean, I love the Vices album, but to my mind, the Good, the Bad, and the Wasted is almost almost as good an album. It's almost my favorite thing Paul has ever been on. Um, possibly maybe two UFO albums ahead of it, I suppose. Uh, great, great, gritty barroom rock and roll heavy album. It's got a lot of Pete Way's personality on it. Um, but uh, but just a good heavy album. Uh, didn't come out in North America as far as I know. Um, my copy was a UK copy. Um, but yeah, just a, just a really enjoyable kind of gritty, rootsy party metal album. Um, let's see what Paul says here. So he says, um, they're both different and they're good. They're both good in different ways. Um, the, the two, two versions of wasted. Okay. He's, he's referring to what we're going to get to. I like the stuff with Finn. So Finn is this great gritty lead vocalist who was on the early wasted stuff. Anyways, I like the warmth and the way that album was put together, how we really put together as a team. I joined Pete for the good, the bad, and the wasted that year when it was really him and Finn. Andy Parker was helping out, and Neil Shepard was playing guitar. We ended up doing the uh, Iron Maiden tour in Britain, which is why I ended up joining the band, because they needed somebody. And it went from that to a full-blown Let's Do an Album. So, okay, so he's saying here he was even on the previous tour coming into this situation. It wasn't even going to go that far, but... The time in Wales where we did the recording was actually very close to my house, and it's an old studio that my cousin used to own. It, it isn't old anymore, a place called Rockfield. Huh, so that was that was uh, Paul's cousin. That's interesting. Uh, it was one of the first residential studios, and the whole camaraderie of being in a band and living in the place together was cool and nice, and I think it kind of reflects in the album. And it was back in the days before everything began to go digital. We were still using tape and stuff like that. And a lot of things on there, you actually had to be very creative in the recording process when you're only on a budget of like $20,000 or something. Liam Sternberg produced the record, and he's a great guy and, and had some really cool ideas. Actually, he was from Columbus, Ohio. He wrote Walk Like an, Egy an Egyptian. Uh, and he had a couple of other hits. So Liam 
Clement had a lot of creative input, and he was like the fifth member of the thing, and Jerry Shirley from Humble Pie playing drums. It was very nice. Unfortunately, we didn't tour with the album, and then we ended up not playing with Finn. We were going to play uh, Israel, and Finn wanted to rehearse for like two weeks, and we just didn't have the money. So there you go. Things kind of fall apart again. Um but not fall completely apart um, because, well, I, I consider it a bit of a falling apart because Finn is so important to that band. He's, a, he's an incredible, incredible uh, personality and, and this gritty Rod Stewart style, uh, you know, I, iconic uh, uh, lead vocalist uh, there. Okay, but we're going to close out. Um, take a listen to this. This is the same band. You would never believe it. Uh, but this is the same band wasted with something called Walls Fall Down. All right, so this is uh, this is the last Wasted album before uh, Reunion, uh, and now Wasted are actually moving up in the world. They're moving from a mid-sized label to uh, to who are they on here? Capital EMI. Um, this is the album uh, Save Your Prayers from 1986. So this is a major label album. Uh, it's the middle of the hair metal era. It looks like a hair metal album on the front and the back. Um, everything about it, the typography, being on this label. Um, Everything about this band screams hair metal success, but alas, it was not to be. It's too bad, but this is a really, really good record. Uh, it's a it's a solid hair metally type record. Um, pretty heavy. Um, the main the main thing about it is it's uh, it's got on lead vocals Danny Vaughn, who went on to Taiketo. Now he's an American guy with with obviously just like a really clean, clear voice. So big, big difference from Finn. It's not this uh, it's not this you know rough and raw barroom English rock and roll anymore. But this is a very cleaned up. Uh, record produced by Simon Hanhart. Um, so let's hear from, uh, let's hear, you know, is this a Paul Chapman sort of joint? I mean, you listen across the album, there's, there's his, his golden boy, uh, riffs all over the record. So it is, it is very Paul Chapman, but like I say, Paul is a chameleon. I mean, Paul basically, um, or not, not exactly chameleon, but Paul, uh, has this timeless general generalist uh style to his writing his riffing his soloing that can fit in any situation but it does sound like it it really does sound like paul was made for this era he should have could have been a much bigger star at this time so here's what paul has to say I got Danny involved in the band, who was in a band I had in America before I went to join Pete. So that's the Danny Vaughn connection from my second Wasted Elm. When we started recording Save Your Prayers, we did quite a lot of writing. Obviously, we had a far better deal. We were with Capital EMI, and we had bigger management. And Danny and Johnny D on drums had a different feel being American, which was kind of okay. It made the album kind of high-tech glossy, which was really nice. And actually, in retrospect, when I listen to Save Your Prayers now, I really love it differently to the other one. Um what he says about Simon there was uh Simon Hanhart the producer that was uh, I in fact um that's right I I uh, interviewed him cuz uh, cuz he did a Saxon album and I um 
He's, uh, I interviewed him for one of the Saxon albums in my latest Saxon book. That was an EMI capital find, he says of Simon. He had just finished doing Marillion. Simon is a superb guy. In actual fact, he went into the record business as an executive after. He produced a bunch of albums, and he produced my Ghost album uh, at Rockfield. He came down and did it for nothing. Uh, drove all the way down from London, like 200 miles. God love him. Didn't want a penny to do it. And I think it was like the last thing he did. And then I think he got a job with Capital or some label like Geffen A&R Head or something. I didn't hear from him for years. And then somebody just came into my shop with the new Asia album from last year, and that was recorded in South Wales near where I'm from, and I know the studio. And it says produced by Simon Hanhart, so he must be back producing again. Really, really good guy. He was young, bright, very, very clever with a good ear. There's a track called When Hell Comes Home on Save Your Prayers. The bass drum on that, it wasn't how it ended up. It's not what you're listening to. What ended up happening was... And I know because I had the room above the control room and he kept me up all night. Simon spot erased every single bass drum, one bass drum in every measure of the whole song, and he replaced it in a different place with a sampled bass drum from Let's Dance by David Bowie. So yeah, the bass drum on Let's Dance is now actually one of every three bass drums in every measure. Hmm. Okay. And then he got Pete to play along to the bass drum. It was a new concept for Pete to actually play with a drummer. You know, Andy Parker would never even have him in his monitors. <laughs> he laughs. Yeah, it's it's funny. Pete Pizza uh, Pete's obviously a real character. He's like, don't put bass in there. A bit of a funny thing. And it changed the whole feel of the song. So yes, Simon actually erased every single bass drum and he dropped in every single bass drum in a different place. And it took him like 13 hours or something. I mean, this guy and the patience. And I was upstairs trying to go to sleep and I would wake up four hours later to go to the bathroom and he'd still be doing it. And this happened like three times. Yeah, the guy, when he got stuck into something, you just couldn't, you know, it had... Uh, if if that hadn't been if that had been me, I would have been ah f it, leave it out. You know what I mean? But he's a very diligent he's very diligent when it comes to stuff like that, and he had a really great ear. So there you go. That's really um, that's really I think a good survey of what um, of what Paul Tonka Chapman brought to us. Um, so yeah, sad to see him go. He was such a nice guy. Um, he I only met him once in person. He came to Toronto as part of this uh, as part of this Killer B band. Um, not sure what he was doing there. You know, he like I say, he's got all these weird little things he's been part of after the fact but but the fact of the matter is he went uh, what is this 30 years without being on a major project kind of ever again i uh, 86 um you know, 86 is his last, uh, his last big, big project, but he had a bunch of little things along the way. And so he came to town and he was just the most gracious guy, took pictures with everybody, talked with everybody. He's just a great, you know, rack hunter, storyteller. It's, uh, and like I say, everybody who ever uh, knew him or interviewed him or whatever, uh, met him, uh, just said he, he just had, had the time for everybody. He was just, just the, the most friendly, accessible guy you can imagine. So, so there you go. Um, there's, uh, there's, uh, our modest little tribute to Paul Tonka Chapman, uh, gone too soon at the age of 66, uh, June 9th, 2020. Um, that will wrap it up for History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff. Go to the Facebook page, if you will, and uh, comment. Uh, give me some suggestions. A lot of this stuff does come from the uh, suggestions. In fact, this was suggested. Oh, man, I, f- I forget who was suggesting this one, but somebody just suggested, and I said, absolutely, yeah, let's, uh, let's do it. Um, 
So, uh, and you can go to martinpopoff.com um, for all your uh, book needs of, uh, of these uh, heavy metal books I write. Uh, the Merciful Fate just came back into print. I'll shortly have some more of the uh, Blue Oyster Cult, the visual biography. Um, coming soon, you're hearing it first, um, but coming soon will be the um, Empire of the Clouds, Iron Maiden in the 2000s. Um, and also coming uh, a little sooner than that will be reprints of Holy Smoke. Iron Maiden in the 90s, and a reprint of, uh, what, what do we call it, uh, Judas Priest's Decade of Domination, um, so the early years Judas Priest book, two books that have been out of print for a long, long time, so those are coming back as well. So yeah, that's martinpopoff.com, there's PayPal buttons there, um, I sign them, send them out of the office, uh, that's it for now. Hope you dug this episode, um, please go listen to some, uh, you know what, I'm not even going to say go listen to some UFO first because I think Paul's reputation has to be uh, raised, elevated, strengthened by um, by the great work he did in Wasted. So go listen to these uh, these two Wasted albums. They're very different from each other, but really, really good albums. Uh, I would say almost as good as what he got up to in UFO. That's it. Bye for now. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at The RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.